Y'all look at the title. Put your money where your faith is. We try so much to separate what we believe in our hearts from what we believe in our finances. Or maybe we should say we try so much to separate what we believe in our hearts from how we behave with our finances. We just sing a song that said the Lord changes everything. Everything. Has the Lord really changed everything in your life, including how you spend your money, your checkbook, your debit card, that wad in your pocket, your purse, whatever you want to call it. Right. So as you look at this, you're like, man, that's that's a strange title for a sermon. Put your money where your faith is. This church is being commended because Paul's wrapping up this letter and he's like, man, before I end, I need to tell you guys, you guys been putting your money where your faith is. You're investing in this. This is not him talking to people in the church saying you guys should be tithing more. That is not what he's saying. He's saying the church as a whole, this body of believers has come together. They've collected money. However, whether they passed a plate or had a box at the back or, you know, whatever it was, you know, they've done that. And now they're taking that money and they're distributing it and doing the right stuff with it. And because they're distributing it and doing the right stuff with it, with the right attitude, with the right way of doing it, he's being blessed. He's being blessed to do what God called him to do. Could you imagine being called to do what God called you to do and not able to do it because of some hiccup or bump in the road? Do you not think God is big enough? If he called you to do a job, he's going to supply a way for the job to get done. Whatever it is. You know, my brother undercut the whole AC thing. That thing was supposed to be. He said, I, I'm, he called me yesterday. This is funny. Now, when you're a pastor preparing to preach on money, you don't want to hear somebody call you and tell you about money. So he called me once and the phone died. And I said, all right, Lord, that was a sign. I'm going to change it all right now. And then he sends a text, bad service, call you back as soon as I can. And then he says, call me now. And I was like, oh, so it's the sign is you want me to still talk about the money. Anyway, that AC thing is going to be like 4,500 bucks. It's getting done for like 900, maybe a little bit more. So that's a quarter of the price, man. But when the Lord wants to do something, he will do it. You know, he told me, he said, man, maybe I need to, maybe I need to quit talking about some of the dollar amounts because people be getting worried and defended. Let me tell you right now, we did no different with benevolence than we normally do. Money just flowing in for this mission and this job and this vision that somebody's been given about somebody. So, so I don't, you know, get your panties out of a wad, you know, calm down about it. Yeah, I said that straight up. You know what I'm saying? Like we rolling there. So like, just, just, just calm down. Like we doing things the way the Lord wants it done. And we're not going to shy away from that. We're not going to be ashamed of that. We're not going to worry about feelings getting hurt about that. Like if the Lord is leading, we're going to follow. Amen. Okay. We, we on board with that. We okay with that. You're like, man, I don't like it. You don't have to like it. I don't like it sometimes, but I'm doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm walking in areas I don't like. That's okay. You understand that's okay. Right. As a church, you don't have to like everything that goes on, but you do have to do what the Lord told you to do. You, you understand that? Like, that's okay. That's an okay feeling. He'll change your heart. Just pray about it. Right? Isn't that the spirit transfer we're supposed to give? So, so here we go. And looking at this last section, I think it's going to be used. One, how we can see that money is a tool for God's glory, but it can also be a gauge for our spiritual maturity. And I, and I think sometimes maybe a, maybe a bigger gauge. Martin Luther, some of you guys know older former, he, he said this. He said there's three conversions that are necessary in the life of a believer. He said the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and then the conversion of what he called the purse. So we can call it the conversion of the wallet or the pocketbook. Or I said, maybe you need to convert your checkbook or your debit card or, or whatever. But he says, he says, I think this last one of the three is the hardest to convert. Charles Spurgeon said, with some Christians, the last part of their nature that gets sanctified is their pocketbooks. For some people, money is a huge issue. I don't know why it is for some people and not for others, but it is. It's a, it's a big thing for other people. It doesn't matter as much for some people. It's a driving issue. You know, and for some people, they have it and they don't know what to do with it. So they get in trouble. Some people don't have it and want it, you know, and vice versa, wherever you're at. It's kind of like the, the older gentleman. He was married to a much younger, much more beautiful girl. And, and his friends started picking on him. So he got a little worried. And he said, hey, babe, I just need to make sure you're like not with me just for my money. Right. You love me. And she said, of course, I love you. And he said, I just want to make sure like you love me. And if I was to lose all my money. You would still love me. And she said, baby, I would still love you if you lost everything and I would miss you. <laughs> For a topic we don't preach on a lot and we don't really get into a lot. You guys realize I didn't realize this. So I just want to share some of this this with you guys right here. Like the Bible talks about finances a lot. 
like a whole lot. Like, like it is a big, it is so much of a big deal. Somebody did the math. And if you were to take just Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, so just three gospels, you know, in the New Testament, you could calculate it out where one out of every six verses somehow related back to money or a possession. One out of every six. Jesus recorded, I think he did more, but was recorded 29 parables. And 29 parables, 16 of them deal with money and possessions. That's more than half. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's crazy. So I said, well, 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 maybe like numbers are just bigger across the board. So, and this is just a Google answer. So I don't know like how accurate the dude is that sat down. And anyway, I looked up a uh, topic of prayer and it listed a little bit over 500 verses. I was like, all right, that's a lot of verses. So prayer is important. Then, then I looked up like topic of faith and it was just under 500, like 490 something, right? You know, so, so like, that's a little, lot of verses. When I typed in money and possessions, 2000, 2000 verses that talk about this stuff that we're all scared and shy about. My wife told me three times a day already. She goes, I, I don't, I, I don't really like that. You're going to be, well, I'm a little nervous right now. And I was like, for what? They don't like half the stuff I say. What's well, going to change the day? You know what I'm saying? Like, it ain't nothing new. It's just going to be a different thing they don't like. <laughs> 2,000 verses. Here's what I just want you guys to realize. And what that means then, and, and when you really break it down even further, guys, check this out. This is kind of cool. And I will tell you this. I've actually sat down and had dinners and lunches with people who tell me, man, you, you don't preach on money enough. Now, I don't know if they're trying to get us to get more money for the church or if they need to be condemned themselves or, or whatever it is. But I've literally been told that. And I tell some friends that and they're like, man, I ain't never been told that. So you need to stop preaching on it so much and then they'll tell you that. Oh, uh, you know, but, but literally. So it's not a topic we go into a lot. But as I look at this, I'm like, man, and we preach verse by verse. So if a verse brings it up, I'm not going to shy away from it. Don't, don't, don't think that right. But I, as much as the Bible talks about it, I think maybe one of the reasons I shy away from it more than I normally would and, and the church as a whole does is because so many pastors have spoke about it more than the church speaks about it. I mean, more than the Bible speaks about it. Sorry. So if you've got 2,000 plus verses with the Bible, we're talking about it a lot. Then you've got pastors talking about it and they're going a whole I mean, I, I read stories this week, guys, about where there was, there was events going on where they passed trash cans around to collect offering. I ain't talking about that little trash can in your bathroom either. Now. I'm talking about a trash can. You know, I'm talking like a drumliner style trash can. And they didn't collect enough, so they passed it again. And I'm sitting there thinking, how, how crazy is that? And then I talked to a brother who tells me like, oh, yeah, that, that still goes on in our church. Like if we don't collect enough money on Sunday, the pastor will ask for more at the end. And I'm like, what? What are we doing? Because I, I ain't read none of that in all these 2,000 verses I tried to look at, right? I, I hadn't. Here's one I did read that I'll, that'll get us kickstarted. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when I read stories about evangelistic organizations and, and churches and all this stuff where they got to focus so much on collecting the dollar, that scares me about where their treasure is. Because it scares me about where their heart is. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a big statement, man. Because what Jesus is saying in this statement then is he's saying a person's spirituality is directly related to their checkbook. Right? You look at your checkbook. Don't show it to nobody because I know you're probably ashamed of some of the stuff in it, right? But you look at it yourself and be a gauge of it. And it'll tell you a lot about who you are. It'll tell you about what you think is important. It'll tell you about where you spend your money, what your values. It'll do that. And if you look at it and you're not happy with where the money's going, maybe it's time to do some self-evaluation. And again, I'm not even talking about tithing. That is not because we're going to get to that word in a minute, but that ain't got nothing to do with today, Right? So, so look at this. Here, here's what kickstarted the whole thing. This church of Philippi is a model of sacrificial, generous giving. We said last week, it's been like 10 years before Paul had seen them. They supported him. They, they reached out to him. And then finally, after this, this dry spell, for whatever reason, Paul said last week, like there was just, just something came up that the season wasn't there. They send this guy 800 miles, Epaphroditus, to bring him a special care package. And, and they're back in touch. And they're, and they're giving. And, and, and things are great. And Paul goes into the end of this letter, and this is what he what he closes with, you know, with this thing. So they're taking it. They understand they got a financial responsibility, which I think we do as well, regardless of what you got. And he takes these last verses and he wraps all this stuff up. So 14 through 23 is going to complete our book. So, yes, you guys should cheer. I didn't think to tell you that in the beginning. We are going to finish Philippians today. That's it. That's all Philippians got. I'm going back through Philippians starting next week. Philippians 1.1. Next week, we will do it again, right? I don't know how many weeks, months we've been on it, but, but that should have been more cheering. But anyway, 
I love context, by the way, so I do want you guys to keep this as if you're a note taker or a studier for later. Go back to verse 10 when you look at a lot of this stuff. This is not like a new idea that stopped in four, started in 14. The context goes back to 10 where he's talking about rejoicing in the Lord and, and just being grateful for, for where he's at and what he's gotten. Um, but here, here's some of the points. Number one, four insights on how to come to terms with our finances and our money. And number one is this. Generosity should be celebrated. Generosity should be celebrated. When we shout out things where the Lord provided for somebody in need, it should be something that is celebrated, that it's cheered about, that it's commended, that it's excited, that we brag on. You know what I'm saying? And I think because money has been corrupted so much in the church, we're now afraid to brag about it. Does that make sense? You know, I, I know all you guys. I said money at the beginning. I watched some of y'all's faces, y'all. I mean, it was instant. Like, you didn't know what to think. You was scared to death. Like, you was more scared of me talking about money than me telling you you're going to hell. I'm serious. That, that, and that, that's the mindset we've developed in the church. Like, we're, we're more afraid of, of, of that topic and, and what that means. And what, what if he really does pass an offering plate at the beginning? We're not going to. Calm down. Okay. Bible says he love a cheerful giver. If you ain't giving it cheerfully, keep it in your pocket. We don't want it. Oh, you know, I'm I'm just telling you like it is. So, so generosity should be celebrated. Look at it. Verse 14. And I'm gonna go back to a little bit from verse 10, just so we understand this, right? Paul commends him for the generosity. He says, nevertheless, you guys have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, remember what we just talked about last week and, and, and how we had been in the, in the context. If he had ended with that thing of, man, I've learned how to live with, with little, and I'm okay with it. I've learned how to be ambitiously content. I think is what we called it, right? Like, what if he had just stopped there? You think, well, that'd have been all right. Would it have been if you were the church of Philippi? Because if I'm the church of Philippi and we just sacrificially gave, I'm going to keep using that word till we get to it, right? They sacrificially gave. That's what he said. So they, they gave till it hurt. Whatever the means was. Like, we don't know, but we know they gave till they felt it, right? They, they took a brother and sent him 800 miles to deliver it. So much of a trip, so much of a burden. This guy is now homesick, literally, and has to come back 800 miles. I'm thinking if I'm reading this letter and he had stopped right there, then what in the world did we just sacrificially collect stuff for you for and send a brother 800 miles? So, And I think Paul knows this. So what does he say? He says, I've learned to be content nevertheless. You guys have done well. You guys have done great. What you did was a good thing, a great thing. And before we even go any further, man, I want, I want to clear up an issue. You guys realize money is not evil? Right. right. We've said that in the, 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 the church as a whole has turned. Money's neutral. Money's amoral. Money has no, no moral value attached to it. It's not good. It's not bad. It depends on how money is used and who has the money. We use a verse all the time. The Bible, and the Bible doesn't say it, but we use a verse all the time that says, oh, money is the root of all evil. And we repeat that over and over and over again. And if we were to go back to actually look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, where it came from, it would tell you it's the love of money that is, check it even further, this is pretty cool, right? Uh, To me, it paints a better picture, right? It's the love of money that is a root, not the root, a root to all kinds of evil. So what is Paul actually saying? Because he wrote this letter as well to, to his brother, right? He's saying if you develop a passion for money, the wrong kind of passion, a love of money, to do the wrong stuff with it, that is a root. You picture a root that can lead you to all kind of troubles. Right? And you think about a lot of the sins that we get ourselves into, a lot of struggles and a lot of mistakes that we fall into or whatever. And let's be honest, what do they relate back to? Normally at some point you can really relate almost all, maybe not all, but almost all of them into a selfish possession, possessions or financial means. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, it's a root that leads to all kinds of evil. And just to prove it even further, because I don't want people thinking, you know, we, we, we don't do a good job at mixing and balancing finances and spirituality. Because we got one group that says, well, you shouldn't have anything. And then we got another group that says, oh, the Lord just wants to bless you with everything and, and all that. And, and, and I think both groups got it all mixed up and all wrong. Because when I look at scripture, the Bible's got plenty of examples of very wealthy and also very godly people. How about Abraham? Y'all remember as a kid singing Father Abraham's song, right? Y'all know Father Abraham had 318 servants. 
Yeah, go red. That brother was rich. You know what I'm saying? That was not a poor brother. Father Abraham wasn't no broke joke. Right? So we need to understand because we look at him like this great example. And, and we've got this mindset of, oh, he had to have so little. He had, he had 300, he had so many servants, and let me remind you also that he must have treated them so well because those 318 servants became a militia for him. So a little mini army to defend him for a little while right there. So he, he had so many, he was so blessed that it says he could have hung with the kings of Canaan with all the possessions that he had, which makes sense because if you read a lot about him, he, he actually associated with those kings. So he sat at the table with them and he filled his equals with them. So, and yet he loved the Lord, right? So, so money that wasn't evil. How about Job? The Bible says that, that Job had so much land, so much flock, so much building, so much stuff that the enemy wanted to tempt him to lose stuff to see if he'd still love the Lord, right? And some of you are thinking, yeah, and the Lord took it all away and he had nothing. Well, you didn't read the end of the story because the end of the story in the book of Job, it says the Lord blessed the later days of Job more than the beginning. That means at the end, Job had more stuff than he had at the beginning. So he had a lot of stuff. And yet he was still what? Godly. Righteous. How about Joseph? A true rags of riches story. Huh? He was sold into slavery. He's, he, he becomes the second in command. Let me put into picture what that really means for him now. Because a lot of us, we, we gather that and we always talk about the power that he had and the position he's put in. Do you realize if he become the second in command to Pharaoh, he was probably one of the second richest men in the whole world? Right? Do you understand that? I want to make sure you understand it. Because like we, we sometimes undercoat Joseph's story into just like, oh, the Lord put him there so that he could just give him this pass. He had this, this power, this ability to, to... No! The Lord made him rich! <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying your desire should be to be rich either. Please don't misconstrue. And we're going to get to some of that in a minute too. But I just want to make sure because you have wealth doesn't make you evil. It doesn't make you, you know, ungodly. Now, your love of that and what you do with that. Yeah, that carries a lot of weight. But these, these are just some examples. I just wanted to talk to make sure we understood. Proverbs 24. Through wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. By knowledge, its rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. Now, that depends on what your riches are and all that, of course, right? Write it down this way so that we understand we're all on board right here. All right? It depends on how a person uses it. Money's like manure. You stack it up, it stinks. You spread it out, it can grow a lot of stuff. That makes sense? Huh? You're only going to get that in give-ins, guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is, that is a give-ins example right there. You're only going to get that in the country. You, I see y'all at lunch now. What pastor talk about? Money's like manure. What else? I don't know. I just remember that one line from the whole thing. <laughs> giving for God's work is a great thing. And that's what Paul's committing these guys for. They're not just giving to a guy. They're not just giving to, to an area. They're giving because they believe in the Lord's work. Now, now here's what sometimes, and, and, and again, I'm preaching to myself right here. Sometimes it hurts to give to the Lord's work because you don't know if you like who you're giving to. Is that, is that a fair way of saying it without me having to get in any more trouble than that? Like sometimes you're like, I, I don't know if I want to support them, but do you want to support the Lord? Do you want to support his mission? Right? Because I look at some bums sometime and I think, you know what? They could probably get up and go do some of this stuff on their own. They could probably work and earn some of their own keep. Yet, I'm responsible for what the Lord told me to do. Right? And then that sometimes is some of the greatest principle we need to make sure to keep ourselves in check. David, he accumulated a lot of wealth. And sometimes that can be seen as a, a lot of times that can be seen as a very bad thing. But here's what the book of Kings said. If you guys remember back from, I don't know, a year or more when we were in first Kings, right? First Kings chapter eight, the Lord came to him and, and rather than getting on him and, and harping on him because he's, he's gaining up all this stuff. He said, because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well and have because you have this in your heart. God's looking so much deeper than the things he had gathered. He's looking at his heart. He's, like, he's saying, why are you raising this money? Why are you storing up all this stuff? What are you wanting to do with all the stuff I've blessed you with and I've allowed you to have possession of? And he looks at David's heart and David said, man, I just, I just wanted to build your temple. Now, David don't get to build a temple. His son does. But the Lord looks at him and says, I am grateful. Can you imagine making God grateful? God says, I am grateful that you have a heart to want to store stuff up to build a temple in my name. Like your motive is pure. Your motive is right. The New Testament, 3 John. 
If y'all need a book to start reading, smallest book in the Bible, you can do it. All right. Third John, one page. John writes this guy, Gaius, and he tells him, he says, you are doing a good work for the Lord when you take care of traveling teachers who are passing through, even though they're strangers to you. What did it say? Even though they are strangers to you. We've got this venting process in the Southern Baptist Church for some reason where we think we need to vent everybody before we give them any money. Well, I need to check out and see. I need to, I need to, do, I need to run a background check on them. I need to, I need to do this. I need to, I need to make sure they're on board. Now, I'm not telling you, you don't always have to do that kind of thing. There is discernment. The Bible talks strongly about the gift of discernment, okay? So hear everything in balance, guys. Don't take one idea and run with it, right? We do that enough with verses in Scripture, right? But what I'm saying is, is this guy gets commended because they're strangers that he don't know. Yeah, they were teachers of the Lord. They were, they were coming to minister. And, and, and he's looked at and he said, you are doing a good work by taking care of these people that you don't even know. Right? That's a, that's a good thing, man. Acts chapter 20. Paul, the apostle, again, he's quoted, he says, it's, it's, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So just, just do a self-test today when you get home, man. Maybe right now. I don't know. But do a self-test now. Do, do, do you like giving? Do you enjoy blessing other people? Do you have a desire to do that? And, and if you don't, that's just, all I'm telling you to do is check yourself. Right? Like, like check out. Because when I read about Jesus, Jesus was a giving guy. Right? He gave abundantly. He literally gave abundantly as far as all areas of life. So if he's supposed to be the one living in me and I don't have the same desires he had, right? Look at Would he look at poor people the way I look at poor people? Man, that's been some of my biggest tests sometimes, especially my, my wife wants to get into law school and help all these bums that put themselves in trouble. Y'all notice I ain't sanctified yet. I'm just getting there, right? Like I'm still calling them bums and I'm still saying they got themselves there. I'm, I'm working on it though, right? I, I want to be honest with you guys. I, I'm working there. I'm trying <laughs> as honest as I can get. Right. But, but, but is that the way Jesus would look at him? Is that what, is that what he would have done? Jesus would have been a true guy who would have had that. What, what do we say? That phrase, kill him with kindness, man. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? I, I think back to a lot of the stuff with Jesus. He even like the, the, the stuff with Peter that I like where Peter chopped off the, the dude's ear. Right. Could you imagine Jesus picking that thing up, and putting it back on you and you was the guy wanting to kill Jesus? What happened to that dude, right? Like, he ought to have his own book written. Like, I came to kill Jesus. His servant cut my ear off. He picked my ear up and put it back on. What the heck? Right? Like, he's got to be the most confused guy that, that, that there is, man. And here's the honest truth. Because you, you, you talk about all this all this stuff and, and missionaries and a missionary coming and all that. The honest truth is, few things would ever get done in the ministry without generous support of people. It takes money to do some of the stuff. All right. So note this right here. One, you got to have it to give it. This is just like a little pause thing right here. I want to want to throw it here because I know people are going to take this two different ways. Right. So that means two things. If you want to be a giver, you better be a go getter because you can't give what you ain't got. Does that make sense? So, so the principle of, oh, you ought to get rid of everything. I don't know if that's necessarily true, because if you get rid of everything, you can't help nobody. Right. And the second, just true principle and honest is this. If you don't have it to give, then God ain't talking to you. Does that make sense? Because I've preached some kind of stuff like this before. And somebody come up to me and be like, Pastor, I know you said I'm supposed to do this, but I ain't got this. Then the Lord wasn't talking to you. You're not the only one in the church. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't a special service designated for me and you to have a conversation together. The Lord's talking to us as a group. Does that make sense? All right. So I just want to throw that out there. Church of Philippi. Jim Elliott said this. This is good, too. This I would write down and I stole from somebody else, right? Jim Elliott, he's a great missionary, went to Ecuador. Uh, he's actually murdered. Why is a missionary? And it's recorded in some of his, some of his writings after, after he passed. And it says this. He is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep in order to gain which he cannot lose. Whew. What? He is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Man, that's good stuff, right? They were generous. Paul celebrates their generosity. And he says, he says, it was good, guys. And here's why it's good. So, you know, you get a mini sermon every sermon, right? So under point number one, you could put this. It turns people into partners. And I don't know if you guys have ever developed a partnership with somebody else. 
But man, there ain't nothing like that. And I don't, I don't know if you're talking about workforce wise or, or, or financial wise or just belief wise, but, but when you develop partners in the faith and partners in the mission of God, oh, it's just beautiful, man. Go back to chapter one. We should have had this idea back then because Paul started the whole book of Philippians when he said this in chapter one. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making my request for you with all joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's writing this 20 years later. He's saying, man, I'm so grateful that 20 years ago, the Lord called us to be partners together. Right? I'm so grateful that for 20 years, we've been doing this thing together. And think about it. Some of these guys, actually all these guys, but maybe two is only proven, have ever been where Paul is, right? So he's saying, you guys are there. I am here. You're doing what you can do. I'm doing what I can do. Yet we're all partners doing what God called us to do. I mean, he's not he's not elevating himself or them more than the other. It's an equal partnership. It's beautiful. And then back to verse 14, where he says this, you've done this, you've done it. Well, you shared in my distress. Verse 15, he says, now you Philippians also know from the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning this stuff. So he's saying, he goes, you guys were the only ones. Now you imagine if you had to go raise, if you're one of these when he's going on a mission trip or if you're one of our other friends and, and family members that, that have been on the mission field before, could you imagine going around trying to collect money to do what God called you to do? Now, this is something the Lord told you to do and you get told no, no, no. They pass off from play. You get zero dollars, right? They give you a check at the end. It says zero on it. And finally, you get to one church. One church that says, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna support you. We're gonna, we're gonna get this thing going. I, I think as Paul remembers that, he is a little bitter, whether you want to call it that or not. I'd be bitter too, right? But I think what he's really telling these guys, he goes, I, I might have been, I might have been willing to quit if it hadn't been for you guys pushing forth and believing in it. Right? What that means to me is this. That means, cause I'm sure they gave a very little amount, which I'm gonna talk about something with them, you know, as we get closer to the end. That, that, that makes me believe that. But what he's saying is that little push was all I needed to make you guys partners with me to keep doing what God called me to do. What little push has the Lord called you to do? You realize it ain't got to be a big push. Sometimes it's just a, just a little push. And this, this word that he uses repeatedly in 14 and 15 shared that's Keoneo or however you want to pronounce it. Y'all know I pronounce everything wrong, right? But like, this is a word that means partner together. It mean, it literally means this, right? To be present and on board with one another for a unique job. It's the word we get the church body from later, right? So that tells you the church body should be partnered together, together doing this stuff, right? So some are goers, some are senders, all are partners. It's a partnership. Back to third John, that guy Gaius, right? Who get, who gets rewarded or, or commended for supporting ministers. He says this in, in, in later on in a verse. He says, so we should support them. That we may become partners with them for the truth. This is how partnership works, man. Right? And I'm harping on this because I want you to see the benefits of partnership later. So here's the other thing. Maybe more important. This probably should have been number one, under point number one, right? What? Why is it good to be generous? Because God likes it. It pleases God. Look at verse 18. Indeed, I have all and about, I am full because I have received, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent from me. That full, I'm going to get to it in a minute, literally means like I'm overflowing. Right? So you picture a Psalm 23 kind of thing going on. Right? Epaphroditus, things that you sent me. A sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. Now look at the last phrase. Well pleasing to God. Our highest motivation should be because it's well pleasing to God. Look at the language he uses here in verse 18, guys. This is temple language. This is what we call it. I don't know if that's like really what they call it, but that's what I'm going to call it, right? Like temple language. A sweet-smelling aroma. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, it wouldn't be like it would be 2,000 years ago. If you were to walk into Jerusalem during this time right here, what he's talking about, 2,000 years ago, you would have smelled it. You understand that? Now, some of y'all are like, I, I don't know how it smells. Like, what, would it be good or bad? It'd be like a barbecue times... A billion. I mean, seriously, think about it. Because what were they doing? They were sacrificing animals at that time, right? And, and they're literally burning them. So a massive barbecue going on from this animal that's on the altar. The smoke is ascending up to God. 
I don't know if it smelled good or bad, to be honest. You ever been to one of those barbecues where it gets your attention, though? Y'all ever pass by barbecues and they get your attention? I'm being serious. I wonder sometimes if some of this stuff wasn't just to get the attention of outsiders. Right? Because some people ask sometimes, well, well, why did the Lord want them to do this? And why did the Lord want it to be done that way? And the Lord can have his own reasons. But I just wonder if like a a sub-reason of his reasons was to get everybody's attention. I tell you right now, if I'm driving down the road and I pass a barbecue, (laughs) bro, I'm slowing down and looking over there, right? I passed by one on 27 yesterday by them softball fields, and I started slowing down. Is there a customer there that I know? Right? Is, is there somebody there that I don't put some big wheel? It, you know, they had, had it all cooking up and laid out, and I was looking at every vehicle. Let me figure out which one I know so I can pull in and ask them what they're cooking and give me a little piece of it, right? Like, it got my attention, man. Do we have a pleasing aroma that gets the attention of the outside world? Huh? You want to know why other people don't want to get on board with what we're doing? Because you're grumpy with what you're on board doing. Right? If you was excited and happy about it, maybe people would want to get excited and happy about it. Check it out too. What he's saying in this sense, he's saying, man, this incense that was going up, which by the way, represented their, their prayers to the Lord. I don't want to, want to forget that, right? And Paul's saying it, it's, it's, your giving right now is like that. Giving to God. It's purest and best sacrifice. It's as if God is looking down and seeing what you guys are doing and going... It smells good. It is pleasing. It is a pleasing aroma. What you guys are doing. I like it. I like what you're doing. And that should be our highest motivation. Do do you hear me? That should be your highest motivation. Because I talk to people sometimes and I'm just being, I don't know if any of you guys in here may give me this answer. So I'm just being honest, right? Like some people tell me sometimes, oh, I give because the church needs it. That's not really what scripture tells you to do, to be honest with you. Right? I'm not saying don't give. I'm just saying like you might want to check your motivation because your motivation isn't because somebody needs it, right? It should be because God is worth it. And my point is this. You think, well, how do you know that's not true? Because what happens when the church don't need it? What do you do? You just stop giving in because the church didn't need it? No. Did God's value change? Was he worth it then and not worth it now? No. So if you're giving because God is worth it because it pleases God, then you give all the time the same. Right? You, you find people that you can, you can bless and do stuff with. Go back to that word. Because it's big, right? He calls it a sacrifice. He says you're sacrificial giving. When you give till it hurts, that means you, like, you know you're missing something. Right? You had to say no to Chick-fil-A so that you could feed somebody else. Right? Like that's, that's, that's how I got Like you, you had to say no to something for yourself so that you could do something for somebody else. It's like David. David said this. Here you go. You want, you want to be real bold and honest? David said, I will never offer to the Lord anything that doesn't cost me something. Mm. Now, could you imagine whether it be your offering or helping somebody else outside that's in need and having that thought ring through your head? I'm not going to give till I've given enough where it costs me something. I point this out because so many people like they'll they'll hear stuff like this and in, 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 and in the past and all that people say, well, well, how much is the right amount? Right. Like when I tie, do I do it off my net or do I do it off the gross? Like which which you complicate things a lot. The scripture is complicated enough. You complicate it 25 times more. You know what I'm saying? Like we complicate things that shouldn't be complicated. Right. But and, and while we're on that, let me go ahead and give you a little little free one right here. The, the tithe, the tenth is not a New Testament idea like you think it is. That's an old, 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 old Testament idea, right? And why we're there, has anybody seen 10th in any of the verses Caroline read? Y'all seen tithe in any of the verses read? So while I may be interchanging a lot of the ideas, we're not talking about offering. We're talking about giving to somebody in need to get a job done. You understand the difference? I don't want you leaving today thinking, oh, he was talking about offering. No, I wasn't. Because that ain't what God's talking about. If you study the tithes, man, if you were to go back, here you go. For any of you that want to know the percent to give, since you want to know this is going to hurt you, you'd have wished you'd have just stayed with the tenth right here. All right? I'm going to go ahead and break it down for you because I broke it down for myself just because, but now I'm going to share it. I wasn't even going to, right? They had, and this is Israel, the original tithe, Old Testament, when you study it, right? Israel had uh, one tithe twice annual. Then they had a third one every third year. That was on top of, that was just a piece of the pie, because on top of that, they had the temple tax. They had uh, another kind of tax that I forgot to write down the name of. They had to uh, let their fields be uncut on the edges, the ungleaned, ungleaned fields that we talk about sometime, right? So that the poor could get it. So, so if you were to break it all down, they had a minimum 
of 25 to 30% tithe. Now, some of y'all was thinking, dang, the 10th was enough. Like you, now that you done studied the Bible, I want you to give more. Okay. That's what I, get out of here with that. Right. But I just want you to understand, like when you talk about this tithe and you get so, so worried about this idea, that was like a starting spot. That's all it was. Literally a starting spot, right? And, and really, let's go ahead and get on to another thing. Because you don't own nothing anyway. What does scripture say? What does he say? I think it's the book of Haggai. Right? What's he say? He says, it is all mine. All the gold. I think he says all the earth's gold and all the earth's silver is mine. It's all his. Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Lord says, for it is the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth. So if I got my mindset now changed where it's all his, rather than me having to give him a tenth of mine, I can look at it and say, man, the Lord lets me keep 90%. Does it not change a viewpoint? Is it not what scripture's saying? Right? It's a good deal. You get to keep 90% of it, man. That's a pretty good deal, right? <laughs> the New Testament doesn't even talk about amounts while we talk about amounts. It talks about proportion, right? I think the Old Testament... Believers that got saved or got converted or whatever y'all want to call it got right in their relationship with the Lord. I think the tenth was literally a baseline. It was a baseline. Second Corinthians, Paul says, let each of us give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly, nor out of necessity. For God loves, y'all said it earlier, for God loves a cheerful giver. Y'all know what that word cheerful literally breaks down into? Hilarious. Hilarious. Now, I want y'all to just watch. Y'all be real awkward and just watch people when they walk to the offering box at the back. You know what I'm saying? Just stare at them and see what they're doing. Right? You got some people. Some of them just send their kids up there because they don't want to look like they are sticking the mud anyway, right? I know what you, I know why you do it. You ain't got to hide it from me, right? But could you imagine if you was to watch somebody get up in the middle, in the beginning, when they walked in the door, when they leave it, and just fall on the floor laughing? Now, you can laugh for two reasons. Let's just be blunt and honest with him, right? You could be falling on the floor laughing because you only had $10 to give him. What's the Lord going to do with $10? Right? So you can, ha Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with it, right? It'd be hilarious. <laughs> or you could be crying <laughs> and try to pawn it off his laughter because you gave till it hurt. <laughs> Lord says he wants you to like to enjoy it. You ever just thought back and like and, and pictured? We're going to get to partnership in a minute, man. But I, w- I want you guys to understand something. When you drop something in that box, man, we give it away. Like, like it, it's great. Like, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I, I love that idea. I love when, like, groups or organizations or missionaries or, or whoever, and they're like, man, you gave more than all the other places we went. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's right. A bunch of rednecks and give-ins, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, we done got them. We gave more than them old rich white people in Texas. What's up, right? Like, we, we did it. Maybe I need to come to terms with that and pray about it. Maybe I got a little sidetracked, need to come to the altar myself at the end. I'm all right with that, right? But it's awesome, man. It's awesome when you when you realize, like, like when I put something in that box, it's a community event now. So, like, you got just as much effort in helping get this trailer ready or getting somebody's bills paid or or, 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 or building something else for somebody else or, or whatever, feeding people that need food or providing for ladies who were trapped in sex trafficking and finally got set free. And, like, like all those groups that we are part of helping out, you're part of it if you gave one penny in that box because we're partners. We're partners in this thing. And it's good. It's good. And you ought to be cheerful about that, man. It ought to make you that ought to make you happy, right? In proportion. What does that mean? That means if you make a little, you're gonna give a little less than the rich guy. Ain't no rocket science, right? Like we try to complicate things. If you got a lot, you can give a lot. Right? Someone said it this way. This would be a good test for you, too. This was my test. Give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. Yeah, I do want to say it again because somebody needs it, right? Right? According to Give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. So here, here's your test, right? What if God took your financial offering, since you're so stuck on this tenth, and multiplied it by ten? Would you be happy then with your income? Some of y'all so scared right now. <laughs> Y'all got to at least like look like you happy because now I know who's guilty of this sin. Right? <laughs> Would it change anything? 
You know, what, 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 how, how would your generosity change? Generosity should be commended. means it got to be there, right? Number two. Number two is way shorter, so don't get scared, right? Interest, you can say it this way. Interest is compounded. You got to take everything I'm saying into context because it's got context in the verses, right? Verse 17. I don't want y'all to take one of these ideas and, and run with them. We're guilty of doing that with too much stuff. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Look at what Paul's saying, man. He's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not even looking for the gift from me. I'm looking for the fruit we can produce together because of the gift. You see how drastic that changes? He's not saying, like, I want you to give enough so I can get me another airplane. Right? Now, I'm going to pick on some of the pastors right now. I'm just going to go ahead and do it, right? Like, I want you to give enough so, so that I can get that new car, so that I can, I can elevate my house, so that I can build another mansion. Hey, he's not saying that. He said, I want you to give enough so that we can send it out enough so that we can produce fruit together that all of us are responsible for. That, that's the goal right there, right? You're, you're looking at like some heavenly accounting procedures, right? Tax time's coming, right? So this is like interest accrued in, in the ledger of heaven, the kingdom style ledger, right? And that's what he's getting at. And here's the goal in the partnership. Here's how it works. Paul would go out. Paul would preach the gospel. The people of Philippi supported him. And the fruit that came from Paul's ministry, the people of Philippi got eternal credit for it. You understand that? You guys understand when, when, when our missionaries go out and, and, and Mauricio, you know, comes or, or when they were in Africa and, and, and the fruit that came back from there or the peels that are in Puerto Rico and, and other places that you go to, the, the, the group in Portland that we supported. And, and all, you realize like all the fruit that them organizations got going, one day you're going to be in the kingdom and you're going to have somebody run up to you and you're going to be like, oh, Mr. Cliff, thank you so much. And you're going to be like, for what? I don't know you. And you're going to be like, you gave that money that supported that ministry that got me to believe that night. Amen. And that gets chalked up for you. Can you imagine that moment in heaven though, guys? Huh? Some of y'all are going to be disappointed when you get to heaven. They say there's no disappointment in heaven. I don't know if I'm on board with that 100% or not in the kingdom. Because I'm going to tell you right now, like if I'm in the kingdom and Cliff got 25 people running up to him, all grateful for what he did, and I only got one. I like to win the games I play. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I ain't looking for one. I'm looking for 50 of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's not a game. I know that sounded sacrilegious. Y'all get over it. You'll be all right. Right? Stay with me, though. Seriously, though. Have you ever thought about, like, what it would be like? You realize you guys are going to be part or have part and fruit that you don't even know about? It's amazing, man. It's, it is. It's, it, if that doesn't excite you, stop giving. Because you're missing it. I'm just telling you, like, save you. Go buy your nice stuff now because this is all you're going to get. And don't go home and tell your wife, Pastor said that, so that means you're allowed to do it. That ain't, that ain't, that's supposed to be a slap in your face, right? I'm here due to your faithfulness, your, your, your fruit, right? And when Paul goes on, he says, I don't seek the gift. I seek what abounds to your account. Here's what else is applied there. Now, you, you might not like this one, but you need to just hear it, right? You need to be careful where you invest your finances. Another point, you need to be careful where you invest your finances, right? You need to ask the question, and this is okay to ask, is this ministry, is this minister that I'm considering supporting, are they being fruitful? Are they producing fruit? And here's why, because I see too many believers, rich, poor, whatever, they'll get a little bit, and they'll say, oh, you know what, I just need to see which ministry is struggling and needs the help. That's not exactly how scripture tells you to figure out who needs your help. Is it, you, you, you on board with that? You understand? I know that don't sound all hunky-dory and lovey-dovey and all that stuff that we normally want to have. Scripture tells you if you're going to, if you, Jesus said it this way, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. That's Jesus speaking, right? So if you want a good return for your investment, you got to make sure you invest in something that's doing good, right? It's, it's almost, I hate to say it this way, but it's almost like common business sense. Nobody's going to invest in a place that's closing. It's closing for a reason, probably. You understand that? And it's the same way with, with this. Now, again, because I know some of y'all going to stand on that back porch and tell me all this other stuff, right? Yes, with all things with the Lord, there is discernment. There is miracles that can happen and all that. I completely understand it, support it, and will cheer you on, I promise. But I'm just talking in general. How we choose to invest our money is very, very important. Okay, if you want to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven the way he's talking about it, you got to look for fruitful ministries that have a good return. Right? Because here's the third thing. And I'm going to get to a big note. Y'all better write down. Giving is rewarded. You got that? 
both in the heavenly kingdom and here. Now, here's the note you need to write down for point number two and point number three. Big, bold, red, yellow, underlined, highlighted, everything in between. This is not why we give or the motivation of the giving. Right? Because I don't want one of y'all to hear that point and the other point and leave out of here telling the world, well, pastor said if we give, we get rewarded. Amen. <laughs> yes, you will. But that better not be your motivation. Remember what he said with David? He looked at David and he looked at all the stuff he was storing up. Right? And what did he tell him? He goes, because your heart is storing up this stuff for something from my kingdom, it is a good thing. What if he'd been storing it up for the wrong reason? What do you think the Lord would have told him then? Huh? I bet he'd have lost us what I think would have happened. Right, verse 19. You notice how every week, the last three weeks, by the way, there have been a verse that we done preached wrong in churches for a long time. There's one today too, so that's just your prelude to it. Verse 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's so comforting. That's so, so warm feeling. How many of y'all used that verse with somebody before? Don't raise your hand because I'm going to get on you. Right? <laughs> How many of you have told somebody, oh, baby, God will supply all your needs according to his. God is rich. He'll make sure you're rich, huh? Huh? Am I setting the tone good yet? Most misunderstood, misquoted, taken out of context verse there is. Here's your red flag and your warning, man, right? What I tell you about context? R- write it down this way. Write it down this way. Every text has a context. And any text taken out of context can easily become a con. Right? Because we use that verse and here's how we use it. Whether, whether you in here specifically or just a group as a, as a whole outside, right? No matter how you live, no matter what you do, God automatically can't carry everything you need. That is not what the verse is talking about. Not at all, by the way. Right? So we take it out of context, it becomes a con, right? We make, I can make the Bible, you realize I can make the Bible say anything I want it to say? I gotta grab a verse here and a verse there and a verse here and a verse there and put it all together. But not if you read it in context, right? You make it in context, you can't do that. So here's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. Who's the letter written to? The Philippians. This is not a promise to the Corinthians. This is not a promise to the Thessalonians. This is not a promise to the Colossians. This is a promise to the Philippians. He's saying, you guys have been so generous with your finances. God's going to supply all your needs. It doesn't say all you wants, by the way. It says all you need, right? So this promise is to those that are generous givers. Stop using this promise like it's for everybody. This is not a blanket promise. Oh, we just spread the blanket out and it covers everybody and everybody's under it. No! It is not for stingy tightwads. Write it down that way. If you, some of y'all are so tight you can't get what the Lord wants to give you or give away what the Lord wants you to give away. Huh? This is a promise to generous givers. God's saying this. And maybe the problem is when we're stingy tightwads is God's thinking, well, if you can supply for yourself, I guess I don't have to supply for you. Right? So maybe you're just speaking to the Lord that way, right? He didn't write this to the churches. He wrote this to the Philippians who time and time again had been faithful with their finances. And some of y'all might be thinking this. Well, well, the church of Philippi was probably rich. They were probably able to do this. Let, Let me read some other letters about the Philippians for you. Right? Here's why Paul, when he wrote the book of Corinthians, here's why he bragged about the Philippians. So some of y'all think, oh, they was a rich church. They could give away all this stuff. Hmm. He said this, added their most severe trial and extreme poverty. They welled up in generosity. I don't sound like a bunch of rich people. Huh? Here's how it goes on. You want to talk about Paul could paint some words, man, right? This is a very poor congregation. Here's what he said. He goes on a little further talking about their, they were poor, but they were generous. He says this. He uses the word rob. Listen to what he says to the Corinthians. I have robbed other churches to minister to you. That's the viewpoint he's got. Could you imagine being in the church of Corinth? Who, by the way, was very wealthy. So that really hurts. Right? So he's writing to a group of people who is very well off. And he's saying, I had to rob the poor people to come minister to you guys. Paul didn't cut no slack when he was ticked off. Especially if you read and, and understand what he's actually right, man. I love it. It's great, right? He's referring to the church of Philippi, the Macedonian churches. He said, this is what he said. I felt bad taking the money that they had sacrificially given. There's that word sacrifice again. It was as if I was robbing them. So no, they were not a rich church that had lots of money to give away. 
They were a generous church. You know what I'm saying? We, when we had to, this was kind of cool for real. When we first had to, even though we were paying cash for everything we owned with the buildings and the land and all, we still had to show, you know, your, your top ten donors. No name or anything, just the amounts that was given. I remember looking at that thing and how close. None of them were like a million dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Like they, they, they were just so close. And I remember sitting back and laughing. And I was like, man, how many pastors would have their feelings upset right now? Looking at this like, where's my million dollar donor, God? Where's my, where's my hundred thousand dollar donor, Lord? And I just remember sitting there and I was like, we're a group of believers where every one of us is so committed to doing things right. We're just obedient with the little stuff that we got to be obedient with. So the Lord provides the big picture. Amen. That's awesome. Like seriously, that, that is great, great stuff right there when you look at it that way. I'm saying like, because here's what happens. Business world, spiritual world, whatever you want to call it. If you got the millionaire, when you lose the millionaire, guess what happens? You in trouble, right? Or when you got the millionaire, you got a pastor then that wants to cater to the millionaire. So if you're the millionaire in here, don't tell me. Because one, I ain't going to cater to you. And two, I don't need that temptation in my life. Right? <laughs> verse 18, just write the check. That's not what verse 18 says. Verse 18. Indeed, I have all... See, baby, they laughing while I preach about money. You ain't got to be upset or scared. Right? <laughs> She knows what's coming. That's my woman. Right? Verse 18. Indeed, I have all in about. Cool phrase, man. Break it down in the original language. It says, I am full, having received from Epiditus the things that you sent. I'm full. I'm fi Literally, the word plurio is filled up or filled to the brim. Right? That's what he's telling this church. Verse 19. He uses the same word again. He said, and see these two words now, right? He says, and my God shall supply all your need. Right? So here you got it. And he's using this word. Here's what he's actually saying. You filled me up so much. My God's going to fill you up that much. Isn't that cool? That's pretty, right? You made me so full. My God's now going to make you full. Beautiful. The principle. And again, God generously treats those who treat others generously. Right? That's okay to believe. I hope y'all understand that, man. I, it can't be your motivation. Please don't misconstrue the order. You misconstrue the order, you get yourself in a spiritual trouble that you don't need to be in, right? But when it's right, oh man, it's right. Right? This principle is seen over and over, by the way. Here's some, here's some proof for you. I like to prove everything with Scripture. I don't want you to think it's my idea because it ain't. I ain't smart enough to come up with it. Luke 6.38 Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with a measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's Jesus speaking, by the way. Right? The authority of all. That's what he's saying. That agrees with Old Testament, Proverbs 11.25. The generous soul will be made rich. He who waters will himself also be watered. Man, that's pretty sounding. Proverbs 22.9. A generous man will himself be blessed. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits at first fruits of your increase. Maybe that's somebody right of your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Same principle over and over again. If you be generous, God will supply. Now, it's not meant to be something, by the way, where you're thinking like, if I give this, the stock market kind of play in a game where you get to be rich. I ain't what he's saying. Everything he's talking about needs, 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 needs. All right. Let's uh, let's close. Last verse. Last last lesson. Not last verse. Sorry. Last lesson. I'm I'm gonna pull a I'm gonna pull a Paul right here because he says Amen twice. I wonder if the Church of Philippi thought he was done on the first one. Right. Here's a fourth insight for how great handling financial stuff the Lord's way can work. Right. Your family gets extended. Look at twenty through twenty three with me. Twenty through twenty three. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's Baptist, y'all. So that amen is not an end, right? That's just like I'm almost done. I'm going to close again with another phrase. I really think, here's what I really think happened for real. And I don't know this. This may have been one of the letters, by the way, Paul had somebody else writing. We don't know at what stage his, his blindness had probably taken over. But either, either way, whatever it is, I think he's writing all this stuff. And he gets to the end. He's like, I've learned to be content. With the little, if I need to be with the little. And then he's like, oh, but they gave. But I want you guys to know, 
Your giving was a good thing, and here's what it did, and here's here's the benefits that can come from it. We can partner together, and, and we can get you know eternal rewards together, and the fruit that we can get from it is is more important than the gift itself. And he says, and I hope our God and Father be have glory forever and ever, Amen. Then he's like, oh, I forgot one more thing. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brother, I love this ending, man. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. Where's Paul at? Prison. Who's he chained to? Huh. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me. What's Paul mean when he says brothers? He got a brother? Huh? His daddy had a girlfriend in that town he didn't know about and he found his brother? Is that what he's talking about? No! What's he talking about? My spiritual brothers. He's talking about saints. Not dead ones with halos over their head, by the way. You realize you're a saint and I'm a saint right now? Not because of anything we did, by the way, but because of whose we are. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, the saints, my brothers who are with me, we send you these greetings. All the saints send you greetings. Hold on, there's more? Paul, I thought we was writing you in prison because you was all lonely and by yourself. Paul been working while he in prison, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't take no time off. All the saints send you greetings, especially those... I wasn't supposed to really elaborate here. I was supposed to save it. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Caesar's household. You got to read this thing like you that church, guys. Right? He's saying the unreachable done got reached. You understand it, right? He's saying them dollars y'all sent, they allowed me to reach unreachable people. Then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In your spirit. Most translations also have another amen. Now he's done. Check this thing out, man. Here's what's cool, right? Family getting extended. This is as fair as well. Saints greeting other saints. And here's what he says. Here's what he says. Verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those who are in Caesar's household. You ever seen somebody you ain't seen for like a long period of time? Like a, you gotta, it's got to be a family illustration so it works, right? Like a big family normally. Right? And like you have the adults that come up and, and greet one another. You know, we, we converted them to move over so now we don't have it. They just live a mile down the road. But, but I remember like when the deals would make that eight-hour ride. You know, we'd run out and it'd be a handshake and a hug. But then the kids. That's the especially. Because the kids would like run over and do that. Like just if you did it as an adult, it'd be weird kind of thing, right? Like it'd just be creepy. But they just run over and act all crazy and bouncing off walls and oh baby, yeah, high five and knocking each other down and just wildness. That's what he's talking about, though. He's saying all the saints greet you, especially the little kids is about to run out, and the little kids, believe it or not, is from Caesar's household. Paul's saying, you guys allowed me to sit in jail 24 hours a day, chained up to a guard for a six hour shift. Y'all ever pictured that guard, by the way? I had to, y'all can decide, I had to great, I never even thought about it that much until years ago we did VBS. And, and, and uh, I was a guard and head was Paul. I don't know why they made me the bad guy and allowed head to be a super spiritual holy man again. But that's how we did it. Right. And in doing that, though, I remember like I had to sit there and listen to him to preach to every VBS class that come in the lesson. And then it hit me in the head. I'm like, this would have been exactly how it was for the guard chained up to Paul for six hours a day, nonstop. You know, you'd, you'd look at your sundial, put your stick in the in the ground and be like, well, there's 30 minutes of it. I got five hours and 30 more minutes to go. Right. Paul would nonstop be preaching Jesus. And it got to a point, evidently, where it worked. Because when he says Caesar's household, there, there is two ways you can take it. And I'm okay with either one. Either way, it has to be part of the imperial family. Which means this. Either the guards, who were the same guards that would have been working in the house, got saved. Right? Got converted. Whatever you want to look at it. Whatever wording you like to use. Right? Or, or, maybe somebody in the actual family got converted. That's what he's saying. You, you ever, I know we got different views on politics and that's okay. 
Right. But here's what it would be for these guys. Here's why this is so cool. Because we said at the very beginning of the series, I don't know if you guys remember, Philippi was a colony of Rome. Right. So at this time, they got Nero running the show. I hope you guys realize that. Nero made Hitler look like a Girl Scout. I'm dead serious. I'm like, Google some of that stuff. Like, dude was psycho. Right. Crazy. I know y'all done had, don't name no names, but I know y'all done had some political figures you probably didn't like. And you heard pastors tell you, oh, just pray over them. And you thought, because I've thought too, prayer ain't going to do that brother no good. Ain't going to do that sister no good. And you hear people say, well, you need to pray because we, we, we got this thing. Same thing they would have had. We, we're, we're loyal to the, to the gospel today, but, but, but we're patriotic too. Like we, we want you to be loyal. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being loyal to your country, by the way. I'm not trying to dismean that. But I'm thinking like if you're in this state, you need to understand like these guys, they would have been loyal to Rome. So when they broke out in their services and pastors ended their, their sermons, whatever, and he'd tell them, you guys need to pray for Nero and you need to pray for Rome. I wonder how many of them were like, have you seen what this dude does? I'm not praying for that cat. Right? Like, he's, he's crazy. Prayer ain't going to help him. And then they hear this letter that comes in and says, you guys have been praying for the unreachable. The unreachables are getting saved. And then it's like, boom. I should have been praying for Nero. I should have been praying for Rome. Right? I should have been praying for, for Caesar's household. What he's saying is there are saints and believers here with me. I've reached the unreachable. And it's because of your partnership. Because of your help that allowed it. Because of your support that allowed it to happen. He could have laid in that jail and died if nobody brought him something, right? But he didn't. He allowed their partnership to come in and it did great, great things. So if you get nothing else today, maybe just the ending of knowing, keep praying for whoever you've been called to pray for because you never know what could happen. Keep sending support to whoever is ministering to that loved one or, or not loved one that you care about. And something great can come about it. Because there's many things money can't buy. You know, money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. Money can buy you books, but it can't buy you brains. It can buy you food, but it can't buy you an appetite. It can buy you finery, but it can't buy you beauty. It can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. It can buy medicine, but it can't buy health. It can buy pleasures, but it can't buy peace. (laughs) For some of us, it can buy a crucifix, but it can't buy a savior. One of the effects of the gospel, I think that's why Paul wraps up this letter with it. One of the biggest effects of the gospel is when it gets deeper into our souls, it frees our fingers from grasping onto the things of this world that really don't matter. And it makes us cheerful, cheerful givers. Generosity is a great evidence that you're becoming a a better disciple of Christ. Even when you want to give away like what you can't give away, right? It was Jesus' motivation, guys. Giving, helping, reaching out, touching Loving them, caring for them. And if it was his motivation, shouldn't it be ours? I mean, if that was something that, 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 that encouraged him to, to go on and do what he did, shouldn't that be ours? Shouldn't we be seen as the most gracious people? I'll confess to you guys, because I'd rather you think less of me and grow. Seriously, I, I really do have this phrase right here. Don't, don't, I don't want you guys to hate me by no means either now, but that'd be me. Right, but but I rather you think less of some hiccups I've had in my life and better your life than me to keep something hidden. Sometimes, even as a pastor, I've had phone calls because our benevolence fund got out there and the world knows about it now. And I'll get phone calls. I'm just being upfront and honest with you. I get phone calls. Oh, so and so need this, and we heard you will do it. Well, that ain't exactly the way the process works, but let's see what you got. And I'll hear some of the stuff, and I, I will get a little bitter. And then the Lord will hit me so hard. It's the worst too, by the way, guys. I, I, don't, I hope you guys don't ever get hit by the Lord for being disobedient to something that he's called you to do. Because it, it, it's like, man, yeah. it ain't no gut punch. It's lower than that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's bad. Right? <laughs> Straight up. Men know what I'm talking about. Right? I'm just telling you. But I'll have to come to terms with, man, I'm looking at the situation. And what put him in the situation? Rather than how God allowed us to solve the situation. You realize God's blessed you. I don't know what you're blessed with. I ain't talking about just money and stuff or ability or teaching or whatever it is. You got all different blessings, right? But God has blessed us in so many ways where He controls our hearts and our minds. We just want, we develop a passion. We, we talk about being passionate, right? Shouldn't you be passionate about it? We get so passionate about certain things in Scripture. 
Shouldn't we be passionate about anything that Christ was passionate about? So therefore, doesn't that mean we've got to be passionate about giving? Right? And when you get there, man, we'll have to have marriage counseling sessions because husband and wife wanted to give away stuff they ain't had to give away. <laughs> but Pastor, I think you need to reel me back in just a little bit. He wanted to give more than we're even possible to give. But the Lord says if you give generously, He'll meet your needs. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We love you. Lord, even for hard topics that you discuss so much in your word, I pray, Lord God, that we stay unified with you. Lord, I pray right now that if I mess up any of the ideas, the topics, the, the points, Lord God, God, if I misconstrued them in any way, Lord, I pray your spirit fix it. From my mouth to their ears, Lord God, I pray that you correct the words before they hit the heart and take root. Lord, I pray for every single one of us, Lord God, God, that we come to terms with some things that might need to change in our lives. Some ideas we might need to work on. Some things we might need to do. Some things we might need to just help others do. And God, at the same time, I thank you, Lord God, more than anything, that you brought this body of believers together. That I, Lord God, I get to be partners with every single one of them. Because I believe wholeheartedly, Lord God, that this church, this small group of your body, wants to do things your way. And I pray, Lord God, that you push us, motivate us, and give us great discernment and strength to do that. Your great holy name we pray. Amen.